everyone and welcome to episode 35 of the Audience Please podcast with me, your host Adam. And I hope everyone has had a lovely bank holiday weekend and that you've managed to see your mates socially distanced in uh, a garden or a park somewhere and you've all eaten an unnecessary amount of chocolate. I know I have. Um, so on this episode, I've welcomed Joe and Josh of the ever-expanding experimental band Polymath. And we talked a bit around their new double album, uh, two-part album, The Cadaver Tomb. And it was really interesting to talk to them around the process of recording remotely over lockdown. The new sound, uh, essentially, for the band, it's gone in a different direction than their and what they're known for, and why they decided to get vocalists on board for the first time. Um, so it was great to dive in and talk about that. And of course, we talked around their top gigs ever. Um, they're a, such an amazing band to see live, so do go and catch them um, the next time they're, they're playing near you. And actually, sadly, the last time I saw Polymath, they played with Bodyhound, who have just announced that they they are splitting uh, and parting ways, which is really really sad to see. So, um, shout out to the guys in Bodyhound, and again, if you've not heard Bodyhound, unfortunately you're never going to see them live now. But um, yeah, go and check out their their music. Um, their last album was absolutely stunning. Um, I've got another episode coming out next week with another UK band causing a buzz recently, so keep an eye out for that. And you can keep track of the episodes by liking, following or subscribing on whatever platform you catch your podcasts. Or of course, give us a follow on social media. Um, have a great week, everyone, and I will catch you next time. Bye. <laughs> Hey Josh and Joe, how are you doing on this um, fine spring Sunday? How's how's things hanging recently? Fantastic, thank you. Yeah, it is a nice spring Sunday. It's kind of the first like a uh, nice day in a little while. I even got to go outside, you know, sit around, have a cup of tea outside. That was lovely. <laughs> I like have windows open and it feels nice. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, we, we we did the same today. Uh, Laura was like, Sh- shall we open the windows in the house? And I'm like, oh my God, it is spring. Uh, and also, that, sorry, that just sounded like the most middle class thing ever. <laughs> it's, it's the first it's the first spring morning where we've opened the windows on the on, on the on the manor in, wow, uh, yeah. in Blackout. In <laughs> welcome Black to Inn. this welcome to this thrilling podcast about, <laughs> <laughs> about spring mornings. Um, but yeah, I hope you two have both been holding up okay. During the last year, I know Josh, um, you've had a pretty torrid time at, at points getting COVID yourself, and but also you donated a kidney, um, which is absolutely insane. Um, and that so, was like that was like a month before the before before the lockdowns, so kind of yeah. Anyway, it's all good now, though. That's yeah. what that's what COVID nineteen does to you. It causes you to donate kidneys. Make sure, make, make, sure, make sure retrospectively lose kidneys in the past. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, um, I know it's been pretty tough for everyone. But um, before we dive into your new albums, what's sort of been keeping you going the last year? And is there any music that you've been particularly enjoying and rinsing um, the last few months? 
Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the thing that's been keeping us going is the fact that at the start of this, we were like, hey, what if we all learn how to record and master and write two albums? It was <laughs> way more stressful than we expected and, and way more time consuming than I think any of us expected. Um, I am quite predictably... I've been going through a Neil Young phase like the whole way through lockdown. But in the last couple of weeks, I've suddenly, and this is very predictable, I've rediscovered my love for the Mars Volta and I've been yeah. absolutely gunning um, their back catalogue. And and Josh very helpfully is is helping me navigate through the Omar Rodriguez-Lopez solo stuff as well because, of course, there's so much of it. And, and my Spotify and, and, playlist. Yeah, your Spotify playlist is very good because he has very much separated the uh, the good stuff from the sort of, you know, woman gives birth to tomato stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Somehow that's yeah. actually an album name. I, I have no idea what happens yeah. to that man's brain. Yeah, jo- Josh, you're very good at that because you uh, did that for me with King Crimson, I remember, quite a while ago. Oh, that's that's yeah. what I was going to say. My, my predictable uh, music obsession was that, yeah, like early on in lockdown when I was working from home quite a lot and just listening to music constantly, entirely listening all the same shit and i had never really like done a deep dive on king crimson like i mean i obviously knew them and had certain songs i was into but hadn't really gone through the whole catalog and i just got quite obsessed and there was like two or three weeks there it was almost all i listened to and then now it's stuck with me since but i haven't had quite that complete obsession since that that first month or so of lockdown but yeah that's where that that's where that playlist came from because again it's like their their catalog really varies quite a lot in like not not quality but just styles and so you know kind of Picking a couple songs from each album to introduce people is helpful for a band like that, I think. Yeah. Certainly true of Omar Rodriguez Lopez. I mean, he's, the quality is just really variable. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah, I was gonna say I'm I'm very much like you, Joe. I don't think I've dipped my toe in that uh in that pond of uh that swamp pond as it can be sometimes with him. Some of it is absolute dog shit, to be honest. And <laughs> yeah. some some of it is top tier. But um I think he's just one of those people who just releases whatever he thinks of and lets you decide, which is respectable, but it means you have to decide what you like and what you don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that other than the other than the short Kim Crimson thing, mostly musically, I've just been listening to lots of electronic music and kind of more ambient or down-tempo stuff. That's kind of the direction I've been going for some reason. It's been a real exploration for you because I feel like, uh, you know, you've used lockdown to, you know, when, when Josh joined Polymath, he was like... He was the keys player. He was there for kind of mellotrons and organs and roads and stuff like that. And just the deep dive into synthesizers that you've done this year has, I guess, meant that you've been listening to a lot of music that would help you develop that style as well. Yeah, it's because I was there were artists like that that I liked already, but it wasn't like it wasn't the thing that I really commonly listened to. But then you know, once you're playing an instrument or playing something, then there, you definitely get like a different appreciation for it. And I guess it just kind of the two worked in tandem, and I ended up listening to almost entirely electronic music for a while. Like really not been in listening to heavy music at all. That's probably just because you're sitting at home isolated alone. It's not exactly time to mosh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think you're totally right though. Um, and I was reading something earlier um, just this morning about how certainly musicians are obviously using this time to explore more musical avenues and it, def- it definitely you guys and other people that I know where you have those quite broad and open-minded tastes. It's a, it's been the perfect opportunity just like you say, dive into something like King Crimson, but then also um, take some inspiration from it and explore it down your own musical path. I know like Josh, you were going back to the electronic thing. 
you bought some new synths recently and whatever. Um, and I know you've been posting a few videos of you tinker, tinkering around on those. But it's, it is... It, it's tinkering is definitely the right word, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so t- talking about um, this new age, this new chapter of polymath, as it were. Um, so you've just released um, the second part of the cadaver tomb um, and the other part came out just a few weeks ago um how did that sort of come around guys what was the obviously lockdown is a key part of that but was it was it something you had in your back back of your mind um that you were going to explore um obviously with josh and chris coming on board in the last couple of years was it quite a deliberate move to write more music like this or was it something more sporadic I think I mean I think initially it was very accidental because the I mean the this initially the the thing that started all of these records was that the day the the weekend before we went into we went into lockdown on something like a Monday or maybe it was a Wednesday and um the weekend before that we were all supposed to go and start demoing the the new you know proper polymath record okay. and at the time i think josh you'd just come down with covid or but we didn't know what it was, it was. At the time. we were debating whether or not we should get together and do this because we de- we thought things should be locked down but they weren't yet and we were like yeah. well we do want to demo it and we couldn't decide we decided not to yeah and then i and then i had i i got covid like a few days after that which means i would have probably had covid at the time had i come down i was very likely i would have actually had covid because i started to have symptoms just a few days later yeah. yeah. So it turns out we made exactly the right decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this would have been quite a different year, I guess, otherwise. But it it kind of, having that taken away from us um, and then sort of that slow realisation of how long this was going to last made us um, not want to sacrifice the ability to demo stuff well. And that was all the initial idea was, was kind of to, what if we all, because I don't think any of us really, other than Chris Olsen, our sax player, knew how to use a DAW or to record at home. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we didn't even have any software installed. Like none of us even had ever done it before. Exactly. Oh, wow. And so we, we kind of, we thought, well, let's let's all learn some software and then we can at least exchange some ideas that sound better than, you know, Tim always sends us like guitar parts that he's recorded with his guitar unplugged, like on his phone, you know, <laughs> sat on his leg. And it's, it's, it's all you can do to hear the notes over the twang. But I, I was just thinking maybe it would be good if we could come up with a better idea, a better way of us just recording ideas. And it kind of, we all started learning the software and i think it just almost organically one thing led to another and then we were coming up with ideas that were obviously not full band stuff because we couldn't record a drum kit that was the yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the the hurdle and so we started looking at we started just messing around with ideas at first and to be honest though early on there was a lot of discussion over whether or not we even put this out as polymath like we we talked about like coming up with a different name for it or calling it the polymath project or something like that we yeah. you know it was it took us a while to even decide to put this out properly yeah um because you did some stuff um at the beginning of lockdown where you um i was reading the post again earlier where you and your partner uh, emma turned your living room into a studio didn't you so you, it was you you did a bit with her yeah, and obviously she's on the on the new record as well. Um, 
So, yeah, how was how yeah how did <laughs> how did you sort of amass all that equipment then when you um, didn't really have anything before? Did you just go out and buy all the equipment, or I know you obviously work um, in the sort of right industry to get hold of that uh, equipment as well. Actually, I think a, a lot of certainly that project, which we called Slow, was yeah. very much the idea of that project was let's do it. Let's try and make a record for free using all software for free because at the time when lockdown started, I, I, I actually you have to hand it to all the software companies, the plug-in companies, the DAW brands. They all started making their stuff free or yeah. parts of their stuff free to really try and support musicians who are stuck at home. And that's what that's what that project slow was with Emma. We used the free version of Persona Studio One as our DAW. All the synths were recorded with uh, Cherry Wave, made their like modular rack virtual synth completely free so all the synths were that all the samples were off of freesound.org which is something that polymath has lent heavily on in the in the past for all our samples so the whole backbone of that was like no spend this is what you can do for free and I think that actually came uh, most of the polymath stuff. Whilst I think all of us now have <laughs> have as we've got more and more into it, have purchased the top version of. <laughs> we purchased it after we finished the record. We completely, <laughs> we completely finished finished mixing everything, and I think like Joe was still in the middle of mastering it. And then we're like, I think we should probably get the real software now. Just oh, complete God. idiots! So, yeah. 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 So, so, so we'll expect part three and four then um, before <laughs> before the summer then. Um, yeah. yeah. So, what what was the so going back to sort of the writing process and the composition and ob- obviously not having a drum kit, which must have been interesting as well. Uh, what was the writing process between the the five of you? Um, was it someone came up with an idea and pinged it to everyone else and you built on that or was it zoom calls or how did how did that work putting it all together it was um there it was kind of a bit of everything i don't think there was really any any rhyme or reason to it everyone has a different kind of method i guess tim tended to record literally everything like everyone's part and then send it to us and be like i finished this track and then we'd sort of you know people would re-record in their parts that tim had already written and uh and change them a bit and you know there was some stuff that we'd Songs, yeah, songs always evolved from their initial states, but yeah, yeah it's exactly. definitely tended to have. He would he would tend to have a, a lot more uh, fully formed ideas, I guess. It, it just it depended, but it, but as as we went as we went through different phases as we were writing this, like some songs would just be here's a riff idea, and then we would kind of see have other people come up with ideas and add to things or whatever. That was kind of initially the idea, but then it slowly formed into more of now we really know what we're doing, and maybe you'd have a f- more fully formed song before you send it to people. I don't know. It was, yeah. it was as Joe said. It was kind of there wasn't really a particular rhyme or reason. It, it happened in different ways. But no. T- Tim and Josh were the most proactive. I think the bulk of the songs were Tim's original I- compositions and ideas. Yeah. I think he he did the bulk, and then Josh. I th- Josh has uh, like maybe I think four tracks across the two records that were completely Josh's, and then I think me, uh, me and and Chris just added. Uh, parts you know in in some cases that was more important than others there were tracks like um uh tear down the signs which we nearly dropped like me and tim just didn't like it at all it was before we got emma to do vocals on it and and chris olsen um asked if he could 
spend some time on it and he came back with like a rearrangement of it where it added extra parts and it sounded much better and then when we added emma's vocals on top of that it just it, that track just, became one of our favorites yeah so go, um yeah that's um going on to the vocalists actually um so i was reading something that alpha male tea party who obviously friends of the podcast and uh, legends in our, our scene, they tweeted something uh, a while ago uh, around the time when they released their new record about instrumental bands uh, bringing in vocals. And uh, they actually tweeted, should we sing more? I often wonder whether our lack of vocals sometimes devalues what we do. And I know a lot of the responses were like, um, I know my personal opinion was, I think you should only add vocals if you feel like you should add vocals. But um it's ultimately it should complement the music that you're writing and um it's probably better for the band and obviously more interesting for the fans when they listen to it but what was yeah what was the uh the decision for you guys to bring in some guest vocals on both these records um and you obviously how, how did you choose those people was it did you choose them because of their vocal style and how they would fit in with the songs, or yeah, what was the what was the thinking about bringing vocalists on? Um, I don't remember uh, how we decided. I don't know. I don't know when that idea came up, actually. So no, I don't, so I don't know why I'm talking right now, and I should just let Joe answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, uh, I, th- I think we'd spoken about it. We'd spoken about getting some vocalists on before we even were doing these records, maybe just for, you know, for full polymath, we'd spoken about whether or not we wanted to actually work with some vocalists on the next proper record. Yeah. Um, all, all of these tracks were written instrumentally first. I don't think any were ever written with the intention of vocals necessarily. But then when we'd listen to the tracks when they were starting to be formed, we'd be like, yeah, this could really use some vocals. And then we were sort of past, you know, passing them out to people yeah i guess that's true isn't it i hadn't really thought about that none of them they, they all were kind of written around a similar period of time and it was before we yeah they were just written instrumentally yeah yeah and then it, it was almost the songs that we were like oh this is a bit boring should we get a vocalist <laughs> on board you know <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and then sometimes you, then you'd have to like maybe rearrange things because if you now, now once you once you start thinking about how vocals could fit on it then you do have to you know, maybe maybe lengthen the section or shorten the section or talk to the singer and see what they what ideas they have. And so we might like rearrange, but but they yeah, because yeah, they actually weren't they weren't originally crafted with that thought in mind. So I think they ended up in different places maybe than where they started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and as for kind of choices, we were we were choosing the people who we kind of like the most, respect the most, and enjoy the vocals of the most in in the in the genre. I think, you know, Pete is Pete from Alma and Codes in the Clouds is someone that Tim's been playing in and, and I've been playing in bands with for for kind of years, you know, since mm. we were much, much younger. Um so he was kind of an an obvious choice. And as as was as was my partner Emma, just because, you know, we we've done so much stuff together. I really enjoyed doing the slow project with her. And yeah. um because because her her solo stuff is is under the the name for the love of pipes and it's it's like a dark pop project and so she never she almost never gets to do these kind of weirder darker um tracks and so Mm. uh, you know it was nice to hear her vocal on that ash was kind of an obvious choice just because her vocals are uh you know obviously completely incredible and then yeah and then you know and, and again with like with kerry and toby both are kind of 
our friends and also people who we think do a, a really good job of fronting their respective bands. So it was we we just sort of got everyone that we knew more or less. <laughs> yeah, as you say, the, the, the common thread is they're actual friends of ours, basically. Yeah, 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 definitely. But um, yeah, is there any um, any vocalists that uh, either in the future um, is yeah, is there any sort of like dream vocalists that you would want to work with in the future if you did it again? Either maybe uh, from the UK scene or even like proper dream vocalists that like someone that you don't know that you would love to reach out to but i think i think it's, it's something we thought about but i, I don't think anything's really decided and i don't even think we've we haven't even spoken to the person i'm thinking of that's why i don't want to bring it up but so it's not like it's a massive secret i just haven't even actually spoken to the, the person about it so but we might i mean we're not we're not gonna be like become a, I, I think that even if we did have vocals on something it wouldn't be like this record where there's there's a lot of vocals this is more like yeah. almost a vocal record just have so has you know it's like half and half but it feels like that's kind of the centerpiece of it is all the singing i think if we did something in like on a normal polymath record it would be very much a there's a song with some vocals but it's mostly still just polymath you know so yeah i don't know yeah. we haven't decided anything but that's kind of what i would think that it would be it's like we're not this isn't a new direction we're going to become a vocal band or anything Okay. Yeah. 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 I suppose that was that was the question as well. Is yeah, whether you would go down that route um, more so um, after doing this. But yeah, fair enough. Like, well, I, know. I think some of the issue you have with it is that if you don't actually have a vocalist in your band, then you can't tour the stuff, right? And so it's just um, if that's not the type of band you actually are, and if they're not going to be in the band, then you always will have you'll have these songs that are kind of just only exist on the album, and that's kind of an odd position. But to decide maybe you can play some instrumental version of it and incorporate it into your tour set somehow or yeah. i don't know so i mean it's fun to just do things for a record and just leave it as it is but you when you tour you do want to be able to play the things that you loved yeah. making and recording you know so we, we have spoken about the potential of like uh you know maybe when when polymath are gigging and touring down the line maybe we'll maybe we'll reinvent some of the tracks on the cadaver tomb yeah. Uh, and and potentially maybe at you know a special gig or a gig that aligns well, we might get one of the vocalists who's performed on on the record to join us. But but that's yeah. you know that's for the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to dive into the artwork of the records, um, I suppose this is directed at Josh. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit around that, mate? Because I know you had a heavy hand in this. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's a, it's a photo of, um, of mine that I took of, of a sculpture in, um, in Paris and, uh, it's, uh, it's called the, the, the some people call it the cadaver tomb is also the, the heart of René de Chalon. It's a, um, French, I don't actually remember who the person was originally, but it's from like, it's like a sculpture from the 14th century. And it was just, yeah. I guess there's this period of time where like, instead of, um, you know, just having a tombstone or just, uh, or, or like if, if you, instead of just having photos of living, of people the way they looked as they were living, they were kind of quite fixated on depicting people as being dead and rotting sort of flesh. So they were kind of like zombie sculptures, like on top of the, you know, the graves of people. And that was like a trend for just a very short period of time, clearly in the dark ages, because, <laughs> yeah, it was a depressing, depressing era, I guess. And uh, yeah, it was just was from, yeah, from, from that basically yeah yeah um and you um 
on the uh, intro of one of the tracks, I think it's on the on the first record. Um, I think it's someone's recalling the line, "We are the cadaver tomb. We are the tomb of the Ren de Chalon." And it's yeah, yeah we yeah, are, we are the heart of Remy de Chalon. Who's the yeah? Because that's the, those yeah. are the two names for the two names. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, definitely does add to the um, like exactly what you're talking about with the sort of dark ages and a, a grim time. It, the, the way uh, those vocals are delivered, it, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, add to the um, feel of that record from the off, which is uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, Thank you. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, it's great talking about these two records. And, yeah, they're absolutely fantastic guys. And I really hope um, they get into um, get out to more people. Um, obviously, it's a, a step in a completely different direction for you, for you guys. Um, and yeah, I, I I do hope that, like you say, you you do remodel maybe a couple of the songs and play them live in the future because I think it would be really interesting and really different to the the rest of your work. Um, but we'll dive we'll dive into the the last bit of the podcast now uh, about top gigs played and top gigs been to. Um, so I don't don't know who wants to kick us off, but uh, maybe Josh. Um, what's some of the the top gigs you've ever played, either in Polymath or previous projects, mate? I mean, for me, it would definitely would have to it would have to be when we when we played Arc Tangent. Um, it was, I guess, not long after I had joined. Was it maybe our? Yeah, it was the first year when I had joined. And yeah, I mean, we we played on the main stage. It was early early in the afternoon, but it still was really packed out, like way more than we expected, and it just was completely overwhelming. I mean, I, I say top gig. It's like I don't even actually really remember it. It's like you get, it's just quite overwhelming, and you get this kind of like out of body experience. And then I don't actually remember much about it. So it's, I guess I didn't enjoy it in that sense, but it's just was such an experience. So that would definitely have to be by far. Yeah, you played drums for that one as well. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That was that was a terrible idea because like, how else can you make this have you know? How can you put more pressure on yourself? Let's also play an instrument you don't normally play. It was, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was fine. It went fine, but I don't know why we decided to do that. Was it, yeah, I, I, I remember that. And because um, I wasn't really aware of you guys too much at that point. And I was like, wow, this this band's got three drummers. And then I realized that wasn't your usual thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we like started and ended the set with, yeah, just just do for like a, you know, minute or minute or two of kind of the very beginning and the very end of the set, drums, and then, Plus, plus, I gave Joe some like entrance music, you know, just what he's always. <laughs> it was it was definitely my idea to get everyone else everyone else having to do two instruments, except for me, who just got <laughs> to stand in the middle. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Did that last very long doing the three drums then, or was well, it, we, we only, just did it for, we only for that show? <laughs> yeah, we just want, yeah, you just you just want to do something silly for our tangent. That was basically it. Yeah. Nice one. Um, yeah, Joe, what about you? What's uh, one of the top gigs you've ever played? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of, that's an an obvious one. Oh, it's so predictable to do Arc Tangent. There, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there have been some, like, fantastic, you know, there have been some wonderful tours and festival shows in in Europe. And, there, you know, there are a whole bunch that, you know, you could list off, I could list off as being, you know, really, really good. But Arc Tangent obviously will have a very special place in, in the hearts of kind of everyone in this scene. So getting to play, getting to play the, 
the festival as much as we have is is a great honor i think getting to play the the main stage it probably wasn't my my favorite performance of ours just because i'm i guess we're not really used to that sort of outdoorsy setting or that sort of yeah. size so I, I i think i just naturally prefer a slightly more intimate performance that one was great because it was so grand and everything and doing three drum kits was obviously a bunch of fun um so you know th- that one definitely i think in the band in kind of well we we you know i guess we're there's five of us now so it's we've and we've only done one tour since being a, a five but i think yeah I'll, I'll probably have to back josh up and say yeah the 2018 arc tangent set nice nice yeah it was was a special show for sure um definitely got me hooked into polymath um so uh, what about some of the the top gigs you've been to as fans guys um what's some uh, let's go for a top three um if you can think of them off the off the top of your head um josh what's some of the top gigs you've ever been to mate um i definitely can immediately think of one, one of the times i saw radiohead it was um i mean in general i just absolutely love radiohead but there was once they played bonnaroo music festival it's uh, in tennessee and I don't remember what year it was, but it was just before In Rainbows came out. And they played quite a few songs from In Rainbows, but it hadn't been released yet. And they played like a three and a half hour set or something just like unbelievable. And it was, they just played everything. And I know like festivals aren't usually the best place to see your favorite band, but it was just, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And it's kind of like widely considered one of the best gigs like for, for people that collect like bootleg stuff of theirs. I think just because of the moment that it was and finally having some new music of theirs, because it had been quite a long time ago that they released um, uh, Amnesiac before that. So people have been waiting a while. So it was just, it was a really, really exciting moment. I also, at Bonnaroo, a different time, I saw what at the time we thought was the last ever Nine Inch Nails show because oh, Trenizer wow. had announced the end of Nine Inch Nails. This is like 15 years ago or something. But, uh, and so that's what we thought it was that. I remember they, the um, Dillinger Escape Plan played right before them. And then they came out and played, uh, uh, what did they play? Oh, they played. Uh, is it um, Wish? It's from, it's from, it's Wish, right? From Broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. Because, because they, yeah, they came out and just went like nuts on it, you know, just doing their thing. And it was, it was just incredible. And then you did the, enc- the encore was hurt. And it was the very last thing they did. And you're like, you're thinking it's the last ever Nine Inch Nails show. So it was cool. But then. Then they he brought it back like six months later. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that um, that Bonnaroo set and that um, with Dillinger coming on. I've seen that. I've watched that video because there's that video on YouTube of the on stage uh, camera shots, and it's just. Ins- I think I've watched that about a hundred times. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's absolutely stunning. And yeah, like you say, I yeah, I do. I do think it was a wish. It's wish from. It's the one that. Well, I'm not going to try to sing it actually, but I, I was <laughs> about I was about to try to sing the song, and I, um, I, I yeah I thought better of that. I did wish that. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, oh man, I'm so jealous that that you went to that. That would have been, yeah, like you say, um, thinking it like one of the most legendary bands yeah, in the world, yeah, and that's going to be the last time. It's like well, it's like seeing Dillinger on their last tour. And then closing with dis- dissociation um, and seeing that twice on that tour, and that like, you just literally want to cry. Um, and especially, like, I can imagine uh, finishing on hurt, which I've seen them do before. Um, and you just that quiet moment in the song. Well, most of the song, you're just you don't know what to do with yourself. You're just 
awestruck um, and ready to just either burst into tears or burst into applause. That's exactly how it felt. Um, Cool. Um, Joe, what about you? What's some of the, the top gigs you've ever been to? Well, I really appreciated the downtime to think about it. So, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, that's the thing with the questions like this. You always like, like I immediately think of gigs that definitely were amazing, but I don't, I wasn't prepared with what is ne- necessarily the best. And so, no matter what, you think about it later and you're like, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? That wasn't really the best. But those are definitely two amazing ones that I thought of quickly. But yeah, the Radiohead, def- what Radiohead one is absolutely definitely in my top three ever because I have listed that one before in other conversations. But. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I thought about listing Radiohead because I went to see them at Roundhouse with the Moonshape Pool tour, and it was very oh, very nice. good. But um, but I, I, I won't, I won't. I think uh, also a Roundhouse show that we'll get in there is I went to see Pixies um, perform. Uh, they did their two uh, mini album stroke EPs, uh, Come On Pilgrim and Surfer Rosa, back to back. And that was all they played, just those nice. two, which is absolutely wonderful for a start because both of those that both those records are like barely 30 minutes and they were like, yeah, we're just playing these back to back. And that's what they literally did with no encore. And it was just wonderful because, you know, everyone had gone to the roundhouse for this big show and they played for less than an hour and then just went. And I, I loved that about them. I thought that was, that was fantastic, but it was also great to see that they even on, on those records, there are bits where in between tracks where they kept in, like an there's an argument that they had in the studio and they were well, yeah. more a misunderstanding and they've sort of kept the dialogue of that like of one side of it because obviously one person's on the mic you know Fran- black francis is on the mic and you can't yeah. hear the other person they've kept that audio in the in the album and they actually brought scripts out and recited it at the <laughs> set as well which was uh, really really cool so uh, yeah that yeah it, happily the the Pixies at, at Roundhouse and then um, the other two m- much smaller shows because I, I, I love a little show. Um, yeah. So I, I got to see Bosnian Rainbows at Sticky Mike's um, in Brighton, which is a, a tiny little, uh, I don't know, like 150 cap, maybe tops. Like, yeah. I mean, that would be pushing it. Um, really, I mean, sticky is the optimum word for sticky. Is that the one that's in the basement? It's downstairs in the basement. Is that that? Thing? Yeah, okay, downstairs yeah. in the basement. It just sort of like you know, it stinks of piss and stale beer, and and your feet stick to the ground if you stay still for too long. Really gro- <laughs> grotty little place. Um, but Bosnia Rainbows played there, and uh, um, you know, get, getting to see Omar Rodriguez Lopez, you know, whatever, like four foot away from me was was fantastic. So um, yeah. That that show was really important, and and also like that time period. I really love Bosnian Rainbows. That's something I, I, don't, I can't remember if you like them or dislike them, Josh. But Tim definitely doesn't. It's definitely his least favorite. Omar I like them. Project. I like them, but I don't love it. Yeah. yeah I, what what sort of era? Uh, sort of what time? What time was that? Because I can't remember when that, when that was out. It was it was kind of the first post uh, Mars Volta project. Yeah, yeah like 2013 ish, twenty twelve. It was because I remember yeah. I saw them once in London. So that, and I didn't move here until twenty thirteen. So it would have been at least after that. But I think it kind of spanned that time, like twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. 
Yeah. I mean, I loved Le Butcherettes as well. So having the Le Butcherettes singer plus, you know, Omar and, you know, D'Anthony Parks on drums was fantastic. The only thing it was obviously missing was having Juan Audrey on bass. I mean, they didn't have a bass player. Like uh, D'Anthony Parks had a bass synth attached to his drum kit, which he'd play with oh, one wow. hand whilst drumming with the other, which was incredible to see. So. Um, and, and yeah, Omar was going through this weird phase where he had this uh, short-scale um, uh, Ibanez signature model based on his old Supro that he had strung up with 13-gauge flatwounds, which just it was just the most ridiculous <laughs> instrument for him to be trying to play, and I, I, I loved it. It was, uh, it was very cool. So that, that, one, that one easily makes it in there. And then uh, kind of an even smaller show at the Exchange in Bristol uh, yeah. on New Year's, I can't remember, three years ago? I don't know, something like that, um, <laughs> uh, when McCluskey uh, played. Um, oh the, yeah the new year's set there um that was that was the most amount of fun i have ever had at a show and i got knocked out someone someone <laughs> flipped off of the yeah you know, someone stage dived and did like a flip and their oh feet landed in my head and it knocked me clean out it was uh if john niblock from vassa hadn't sort of rescued me off the floor i'd have been trampled oh my god so, yeah it was uh that was a great show well, do, yeah, do you remember the rest of the show? That's the thing, or were you, were you, were you out on the floor? <laughs> I, I don't really know, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it was good. Yeah, M- McCluskey shows, obviously, since their return, um, have been uh, super fun. I remember they they hadn't really... Uh, I don't think they'd really decided that they were coming back properly. It was definitely before and Damien had joined on bass. I think mm. Julia was playing bass at the time. That that was the and, time for for this show as well. Yeah, Julia yeah, was playing bass. Yeah, they uh, they played the Buffalo Bar in Islington and again t- talk about tiny show. I think it's 100 cap that room if that maybe 80 um and uh, RIP the Buffalo Bar. Um and uh yeah, Damien was there for guest vocals. And there was a point where he was on the floor and I think the whole venue dogpiled on top of him. Um, <laughs> it, it was um, it was pretty chaotic. And if you, have you guys, well, it, for people that uh, haven't been to the Buffalo Bar, it's a tiny, tiny room uh, or was a tiny, tiny room. And there is a pillar smack bang in the middle of the room. So it was just going mental, but also I'm surprised no one got seriously injured in that room. Like, um but yeah, those yeah those yeah I think it was around the same time like you say those McCluskey shows were insane more insane than the shows that have happened recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old McCluskey. They're always great for a show. One of the probably the the first like weird like aggressive bands that I ever heard and very responsible for kind of everything I listened to since. I think so. I think they're great, but I will say I I'm one of those people that prefers Future of the Left. Oh yeah, yeah which we is spoke a rarity. Usually, so yeah, usually, because I think well, I think it's just because some of you guys like knew McCluskey at the time when it was a thing, and it was before Future of the Left, and so then people just have it. I don't know it, it impacts on. I think you're not being objective. I'm an, I'm an objective <laughs> listener that doesn't have the history I had with McCluskey, so I can just listen to it. And I just think they've evolved, and it's like a, it's like a better version of McCluskey. But not everybody agrees. I, I also do love McCluskey though, so none of this is to to shed on them. Yeah. Well, like the well, yeah. I mean, it's a controversial opinion and definitely a spicy take, but um, we'll, 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 we'll allow it considering this is named, this podcast is named after a future left lyric. So we'll, 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 we'll let you off. Um, 
but yeah, cool. Those are some wicked shows, guys. And yeah, very, as as usual, I'm very jealous of um, some of the examples that you've come with. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on and chatting um, this afternoon. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Um, so just to wrap it up, where where can people listen to the two new records? Um, and what's next for Polymath? Is there anything else uh, on the horizon or anything else you're doing on the side? sides guys well we're going to be you know we're going to be getting back in the studio literally as as is every band i imagine as soon as everything will allow we've already we already had a record kind of 50 percent ready to go that's of our normal uh you know style in, in in terms of writing not in terms of recording so we need to remember how to play our instruments again you've got to bear in mind that chris crispy our drummer hasn't sat behind a drum kit since early 2020 so uh, oh so you know so we've got to teach him how to drum again and then i think we're going to try and record again as soon as possible and get out like a a full polymath record whilst we will take influence i think from the cadaver tomb records and maybe this next one will be some sort of hybrid of what we were before and the cadaver tombs and then you know with with regards to listening to us you can check us out on bandcamp without we are polymath.bandcamp.com or you know we are poly-math and you can find us on you know yeah yeah the, the dash is important otherwise you end up i think it's like it's a scottish dj or something yeah, this is, yeah. It's, at some point at some point they eclipse to us and then they got confusing and the way to change the name because we're the losers in the popularity battle <laughs> i think that's yeah. how i think that's how it happened yeah, I I, yeah, I wouldn't like to see you guys get sued by. A, well, we still, a we, we still occasionally get we still occasionally get tagged at like some massive festival somewhere, and we're like, "Well, we're playing the oh no, that's not us." The people accidentally <laughs> people accidentally tag us um, in on like Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And there, there was yeah. one time we actually had to sit and like we were trying to figure out if maybe we were booked because it was like a size of festival that we could have maybe, and we were like maybe. A, Maybe maybe we did, we, did you book this? Does it, did anybody book this? And it took us a bit to decide for sure, and that's it. Yeah, sadly, it was not yeah. us. Yeah, well, yeah. I hope I hope the next time you're booked for Arctangent, uh, it's actually the Scottish DJ. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no. Thanks, thanks so much, guys, for coming on and spending um, some time with me on this uh, lovely Sunday. And um, yeah, we'll we'll catch you at uh, hopefully at a gig in the near future. Um, if not, in a beer garden. Uh, Definitely. I'll see you at both. Yeah. See you guys soon. Cheers, mate. Take it easy.